Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Jeff Bellinger back with us. Jeff jumped into the unexplained and leads a very haunted life himself. He's been fascinated with the supernatural since he was 10. And over the years, Jeff has interviewed hundreds of people about their experiences with an approach to the subject that truly makes the supernatural accessible to a wide group of people. He's the writer-researcher for the Ghost Adventure series on the Travel Channel. He hosts the online talk show 30-odd minutes. He will be part of a stream, a four-day stream event, which starts August 28th. You've heard it on the show before, the Lizzie Borden Murder House. It's going to be Friday through Monday, starting this Friday, the August 28th. We'll tell you more about it, but you can get information at darkzone.tv. Darkzone.tv. Jeffrey, welcome back to the program. George, always a pleasure to talk to you. Boy, this Lizzie Borden thing is going to be spooky. So I live less than an hour from Fall River, Massachusetts, and I have been to this house many, many times over the years. And this is a cool thing. We did this back at the Conjuring House uh, a couple months ago, and the whole idea was we're all locked inside, let's put cameras on 24-7, bring in different people who know the case, and and stream it and let people have just round-the-clock access. So that's the idea with the Dark Zone, and uh, and we're doing it again, this time at the Lizzie Borden house. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, gave her father 41. We teach that to our kids here in Massachusetts. But she got acquitted. <laughs> no, I love it. It's not any worse than Ring Around the Rosie, right? That's about dying from the plague. How did she get acquitted in this thing? Uh, and here's the thing. If anyone is interested in this case, all the court transcripts are up online for free. You can sit and read them for hours. You can read everything. You can read her depositions. You can read her interviews. Uh, I, the best I can come up with is that the all-male jury figured there's no way a, a woman would be capable of such a crime. Unbelievable. Now, there was another person in the house at the time, too, wasn't there? Yes. Bridget, the maid. And if, if have you been to the house, George? Have you ever had the chance? I would not go in there if you paid oh, me, Jeff. Come on. So, okay, first of all, it's not like some I'll watch it bed. on the stream. That'll be good enough for me. There, well, you'll see that it is not that large of a house. Uh, I mean, you know, it's bigger than my house, but it's not like a breaker's mansion in Newport. And all I can think of is if you were on the third floor, which allegedly Bridget, the maid, was, and someone is getting hacked to death with an axe one floor below you, I don't know how you wouldn't hear that and at least come around the corner and say, hey, everything okay? Exactly. Was, and her father was a wealthy banker, too, wasn't he? He was, and he was home taking a nap on the couch and never got up. Uh, that, you know, he, he met his end right there. And Lizzie claims, in, a, in the span of just maybe 15, 20 minutes while she was out back picking pears and then going up into the barn to get some fishing weights uh, together for a fishing trip she was taking in a couple weeks, Someone went into the house, stole nothing, murdered two people, and then quietly left. Violently. You you you, you would think oh, if there was going to be a murder, they'd do it and get out quick. No, you wouldn't whack perfect. somebody forty times. It was well, it wasn't forty. It was like eighteen, but still, that didn't work for the nursery rhyme. But yes, it was a crime of passion. And anyone who has watched even one episode of any CSI knows when you've got no sign of struggle, no sign of a break-in, nothing stolen. It's obvious that these victims knew their killers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, clearly. We'll, we'll come back to the Lizzie Board thing, and you can tell us about Dark Zone. Uh, they've been sponsoring, I've been hearing them on our program. 
Yeah. So yeah. they've been, and matter of fact, they uh, they have a couple spots next hour. So we'll uh, we'll listen to that too. And uh, yeah, good t- stuff. It's, it's, it's pretty innovative, and we're we're all stuck inside. We can't go investigate personally, but we can do this. You and I went to the Eastern State Penitentiary with Tom Danheiser in Philadelphia. Remember that? I remember doing prison time with you, of course. You had, did, didn't you have a computer with you? We, we had all kinds of stuff with us. And one of the, the tools we were using was, um, it, it was called the XCAM at the time. I don't even know what they're calling it now. But it's, what it is basically is it looks into the infrared part of the spectrum and it looks for people. This is uh, Microsoft technology that's open source. Anybody can go download it uh, because they, you know, the, the, the game, the Kinect system that you put yourself into video games, um, it, people, they allow that out there so you can develop games. The software was, uh, was used in order to look into the infrared part of the spectrum and look for people. That's what the software does. And once in a while, something turns up that you don't see in the environment. And the software is just doing what it does. It's looking for people. And that was intriguing, right? I mean, so when, when something turns up that's not there, or, not, or you, know, you see a living person and then next to it another one, you start to scratch your head. Uh, this was developed by an engineer named Bill Chappell. We've used it on Ghost Adventures, and now you've seen it on just about every paranormal TV show. But way back then, that was, that was the first, you know, versions of, uh, of this, this new system. Well, it was strange being in Al Capone's cell. <laughs> it was just a weird feeling. Yeah, not all prisoners are uh, created equal, are they? How many years was he in there? Twelve? Something uh, like that? I don't know. But, I don't know, but just to set it up, when, when you go into Eastern State, it's, it, the, the design is incredible, right? So it's like a wagon wheel, meaning if you're in the middle where the guards were, you three or four people could stand back to back and you could see the entire prison. You could look down all the hallways and, and keep track of things. Really intelligent design. And this is where we get the word penitent, right? Penitentiary comes from Eastern State. Uh-huh. Because back then, you know, before Eastern State, prisons were, I mean, they were, they're still awful places, but back then they put everybody into one big courtyard. I mean, you had debtors and you had petty thieves and you had murderers and rapists and all in one area. And it was just so incredibly dangerous for everyone. But at Eastern State, they said, this will be different. Everything was supposed to be solitary confinement. There was a window, a slit in the, up top, so you could look out into the sky and you could pray to God and be penitent for your sins. You talk, you talk to no one. If they had to move you from one cell to another, they would put a mask over your face so you couldn't see any people at all. It was uh, unlike anything that had ever been done before. Now, that, of course, is like spending years in solitary confinement, which is maddening at the same time. But it was different, right? They were trying to do something different. And that, I believe, leaves a mark. It leaves a stain. And when you walk through there, you could feel it. I mean, you remember, right? We were there at night. Oh, yeah. It, it was weird. It's very weird. And, and of course, you start, your mind starts to wander to, well, who, who was in here? I mean, we know Capone. And Capone's cell was different from all these, these wings, right? It was off on its own. It had a nice, nice furniture. Um, they used to keep the door open for him so he could kind of come and go, not outside of the prison grounds, but at least come and go outside of his cell because he was Al Capone. Um, but yeah, the rest of it, though, that was just a place where, you know, we, we keep the worst of society. And when you walk through, I don't know if you remember some of those cell blocks where you could walk down the middle and you can kind of see where you're going, but you look to your left and your right and you see these cell doors and some are open and it's just 
blacker than black in there. You know, it's just so, just so dark. Strange, yeah. And you just, you, you just, you wonder who was in there? Who was in that one? What did they do? And that makes us connect to this location. We understand its history. We understand its purpose. And it, it just takes it to a dark place. A couple of years prior to that, Jeffrey, uh, we all hooked up at the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California. We did, and that's a very different kind of haunt, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> pretty different from a prison. Um, yeah, the Queen Mary is one of those places that I think you just keep coming back to. Um, you know, it, it's it, number one, what I love about it, it's kind of like the Lizzie Borden house. When you walk on to the Queen Mary, you're stepping back in time. You're, 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 you can forget what year it is. You're back in the 1930s on a transatlantic ocean liner. Yeah, you feel like you're on the Titanic. Yeah, right, you exactly. Know? Yeah, you, you go up to the observation bar and you have like a sidecar, an old-fashioned, something you'd never drink anywhere else, right? You just, you say, yeah, this makes sense here. And uh, you, you walk down those old hallways and you can just imagine, this is exactly what it looked like 1931 when it, when it made its maiden voyage. Uh, built to hold 3,000 passengers uh, comfortably, which, of course, would make it a, a dwarf today uh, compared to some of the modern cruise ships. But back then, this was, this was a state-of-the-art. But it was short-lived, right? I mean, yeah. the, the reason this place is so haunted is because it didn't make it as an um, ocean liner very long. It got pressed into service during World War II to become a troop ship. That's right. It, ca- it carried thousands of troops all over the place. So remember I said 3,000 passengers. That's what it was built to hold, passengers and crew. Uh, in, in 1942, she was painted gray. They called her the Gray Ghost. And at its max, uh, Queen Mary carried 16,683 troops at once. Why would it be haunted, Jeffrey? So, during World War II, so many things happened. When you had 16,000-plus on deck, uh, on the ship, rather, you had to take eight-hour shifts, eight hours in a bunk, eight hours just standing on deck because there's nowhere to put you, eight hours doing work of some kind. Uh, It was just packed. And the ship had to run these zigzag patterns to evade the German U-boats, always moving, never stopping. And the Queen Mary had... What a uh, target. My God. Well, right. I mean, yes. Imagine taking out 16,000 troops in one shot. Bang. And and obviously not well armed. It's a cruise ship. So uh, on October 2nd, 1942, the Queen Mary's running these zigzag patterns, and the Sirocco is her escort ship. And through some mishap, the Sirocco gets in the way of the Queen Mary, and the Queen Mary cuts through the much smaller ship, sinking it. Almost instantly, 338 men go into the ocean, and the worst part is the Queen Mary can't stop to help. They all died, oh. every one of them, and that's, that's what life was like during World War II. That's what life was like on that ship, and that's just one event. Of course, uh, they had POWs on there, some who died on the ship. There were accidents and things like that. Uh, it's just got so much life and history moving through it that I believe it still kind of echoes. And and want. some non-troops died there when it was the luxury cruise liner, right? Of, co- of course. People have heart attacks. People have accidents. There was an accident down in the uh, engine room. The the doors, I don't know if you remember being down there, but the, there, these doors are made to, to seal shut in the case of a, some sort of leak, right? They have yes. to become airtight. they got to protect the ship. Of course. Uh, but if you get in the way of that mechanism as it's closing, uh, which one person did down in the engine room, you, you literally could be cut in half, and this that did happen to one of the crewmen, and that's one of the events that that haunts down there. And I'll tell you, I don't know if you were you got to be down down there um, during the investigation part for that that one section, but you're 
down there in the engine room and you're looking up at all this almost century old rusted metal all around you it's you know it's it's very heavy it's, it's a very cre- old it's a creaky ship it's cre- it's creaking and groaning it talks you know and you feel it and you connect to it and you say wow this is where so much happened so much history took place right where i'm standing and that's that's my that's the thing i'm most passionate about when it comes to looking at haunts all over the world but especially here in america is Maybe I'm, I have an ancestor who was on the ship at one point. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> right? All these connections. Why do you keep doing what you do, Jeff? I mean, you are into this in a big, big way. Yeah, somehow I, I turned it into a career, <laughs> which is just amazing, right? Uh, one of your I, bios that I had seen years ago said, you're obsessed with the unexplained. I, I think I am, because these are the biggest questions we've ever asked, right? Is there life after death? I'm not the first to ask it. You're not the first. This goes back thousands and thousands of years and endless generations. What happens after we die? Why is it important that we preserve our history? Why do we need to connect to it? I believe that there's some lesson, right? These are sermons from our own past related to us, lessons that that we haven't learned yet. And, And every one of these buildings has some lesson to teach us. And I love that connection because when you go into a haunted place, you're connecting with that building, its history, its community. And when we share these stories, we're connecting with each other. And that's the key, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we get to step Absolutely. out all the weird dogmas and rules of religion and just talk about one thing. It's haunted. And if you believe it's haunted, if you believe in ghosts, as I do, uh, then you must believe in some sort of afterlife. And then from there, we can, we can argue and you know do whatever. But before that, before we start arguing... Let's just break it down to that one simple conclusion. What was the supernatural experience when you were 10? So when I was 10, I, it started because I grew up in uh, Newtown, Connecticut, and it's a great historic little old town. Uh, it was the town next to Ed and Lorraine Warren, who lived in Monroe. I knew them since I was about 12 years old and Ooh. saw their stories. But I had a buddy who lived just down the street. His house was built in 1760, right? His house was older than America. And we would have sleepovers. And he said, oh, by the way, it's haunted. <laughs> I said, what do you mean it's haunted? He said, well, there's this old guy that seems to live here with us. He's not hurting anything. He just kind of walks down the hall and, and disappears. And I was intrigued. And his parents said, yeah, look, please don't tell your parents. They'll think we're crazy. They'll have us locked up, you know. But it was so matter of fact. It was so not dangerous or, or uh, they didn't even seem all that frightened. And I'm saying, can I live here for a week? I, I want to see this for myself. I want to connect to it. And that sort of started me on this path. And then uh, living in a town like that, I had other friends who said, oh, my house is haunted too. Of course it is. It's, it's you know, 200 years old. And I thought, well, what does that mean? Uh, I was raised Catholic, you know, and uh, I, I had, that's, that's the baggage I carry. And, and I said, well, where do ghosts fit in, <laughs> Father Burge, you know? And then he would say, well, you know, there's a lot we don't fully understand. God bless him. He was very open-minded. And, uh, and I think just that started me on this, this journey of, of wanting to see it for myself. And that's still, you know, what I'm doing all these years later. I mean, you have turned it into a career, haven't you? Yeah, right. I mean, it, that, the career started, I mean, I went full-time in 2004. So 16 years ago, I was able to, uh, to make the leap and just, just do this. And it was never a career that you plan. You know, uh, I think sometimes it finds you. You know, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to do that. I, that I knew. And I was writing for newspapers and magazines. And 
Uh, and then eventually I, I got my first book deal, and then I started working on TV projects and things like that. And I think I woke up one day and I just said, oh, my goodness, this is my job now. And I called my mom. I said, hey, Mom, guess what I do? I love it. <laughs> You know our colleague Dave Schrader. He loves this stuff too. Oh, I know. Yeah, I've known Dave for years, and he's, uh, he's into this. Into yeah, the Queen Mary wasn't that his event where we where we got together? I think so. Yeah, that was one of his events there. I think and, so. Uh, yeah, it's and, and it, it's such a great way to connect with people that that are also asking questions, like inquisitive minds who want to know: Are we alone in the universe? What happens after we die? What's what are the creatures that walk the earth with us? These are the big ones. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.